Joe, you had a dream last night, didn't you? Weird one. I think you did. Yeah, it was pretty strange. What happened? So I dreamt that my neighbor's cat came over and like coughed up a hairball all over our kitchen floor. It was like the size of another cat. So I, I picked that up and threw it away, and then I ended up having sex with uh, Anne Hathaway. The Adam Crowley Show on ESPN Pittsburgh. Dave tweets, at underscore Adam Crowley, the West is still heavy. Read Ryan Reeves' quotes after he was traded. He says the East is faster. Oh, I don't think there's a doubt that the East is faster, but look at Vegas the way that they're trying to play. Winnipeg's got a good mixture of both, but they're very skilled. And Nashville, they're a skilled hockey club. I think things are changing in this league, and I think they're changing for the better. Matt Geica. Pittsburgh Hockey Now joins me now on the Crowley Show. Gadgetka, what's going on? Good to be with you again. Always good to talk to you, my man. Do you think that the Penguins have kind of changed the way that hockey's played around the National Hockey League now, or at least the way that teams are trying to be constructed? Because I do. Uh, I think Pittsburgh, having won the two, the Cup the last two years, has made teams want to play a speed style of hockey. Yeah, I think they've ushered that along, no doubt about it. They've made it much more of an in vogue thing to do. Patrick Hornquist talked about it today. And when you look back to last night, those were not your older brothers or your uncle's devils at all. They were uh, a hard-charging team that wants to force turnovers, create pressure. For the most part, that's the way that the game has been going at all levels, though. So I don't want to just attribute it to the top because at the bottom, you're seeing better training. You're seeing faster athletes come into the sport. From the grassroots, you're seeing better skill development as well. So speed and skill tend to go hand-in-hand. There are a combination of things here, and we saw, of course, in 2015, too, before the Penguins really got fully on board with this sort of a a speed revolution, the Blackhawks and the Lightning played an outstanding Stanley Cup final. I think that helped as well. That probably spurred Jim Rutherford to say, hey, our team could be like that if we just made a couple of tweaks here and there because our top players are fast and they're incredibly skilled as well. Last night, the Penguins were so sloppy with the puck. 12 turnovers they were credited for on the stat sheet, or at least 12 giveaways. Is this something that Penguins fans should be concerned about, Matt, that the Penguins are going to fall into a habit here? Or is this just a one-off thing, or these last couple of games are kind of an aberration? Yeah, I'd lean more toward the latter. They, for the most part, played the right way, to use the Mike Sullivan term, since the new year started. And you're going to have lulls and instances where maybe you get out of that. And uh, the second half of the back-to-back at Florida against a team that also likes to play a fast pace, that was a a pretty nice trap to fall into for the Penguins. And with a a new toy at their disposal, with Derek Broussard there, and perhaps Broussard feeling like he had to create a little bit extra. And I wrote about that for Pittsburgh Hockey Now today, that he had to really tamp down those urges to all of a sudden just run wild because he was no longer in Ottawa. Uh, all those things combined to last uh, to uh, figure into last night's situation where it was a run-and-gun game, a chance-for-chance game. And the Penguins are always going to play on that razor's edge, at least somewhat, with uh, the players they have. They have some high-risk guys uh, at times, but if they can, for the most part, just uh, make sure to at least know that they're on the same page with their teammates and they take risks, and that's a big part of it as well. Um, if they can do that, if they can be more cohesive, then they can play that way. They can play aggressively without um, playing a high-risk game, if that makes any sense. 
It does. Matt Geica, Pittsburgh Hockey Now, joining me on the Crowley Show. I think moving forward, we should do a Matt Hunwick panic meter because <laughs> it just seems every single day now that Penguins fans are going to pile on this guy. And last night, it sounded to me like Mike Sullivan might have thrown the goaltender under the bus a little bit to kind of help Matt Hunwick, who was on the ice for that first goal, the Palmieri goal, when he said there are six players on the ice, not five. How do you view Matt Hunwick as a sixth defenseman, not just on the Penguins, but overall in this league? I think he's fine. I think he's good enough for what they need. More importantly than overall quality of play, or just as importantly, is his style. And we've talked about this on this program in the past. I know that it's come up whenever... Well, fans have a new whipping boy now. It's Matt Humwick, no doubt about it. He wears number 22, and he's out there every third shift for the Penguins. And the the fit stylistically was a good one in the summer. I bought into it from the general managing point of view and why Rutherford pursued him and why he gave him three years. It all made sense. For whatever reason, Hunwick either hasn't gotten acclimated to the way the Penguins play or he's just had a bad year, just had an off year. It happens. And... I don't think it's any kind of a physical decline. He still looks to be a great skater, not just a good skater, but a great skater and very mobile. I'm talking laterally in addition to just the straight line stuff. Um, but he's also not uh, that far along where you'd expect a big drop-off in his play suddenly. So, um, you know, who knows? The aging curve affects different players in different ways. It affects all of us in different ways. So we could be looking at the sort of a decline, or it could just be, an aberration here. But uh, as for right now, what the Penguins did at the deadline, they didn't add any defensemen. In fact, they subtracted one in Cole. I'm inclined to think that the Penguins are going to give Hunwick a few games in a row here before they knock him back out of the lineup. And remember, they haven't been afraid to bench him. They did about a month ago when when Cole got back into the good graces of the coaching staff. Uh, But right now, the options are more limited. You have Chad Ruedel, who is more of a limited skater, but maybe a, a better decision maker or more acclimated at least for how the Penguins like to play. And uh, it's a possibility to put him in there and, and bump Alexiak over to the other side if you just want to tinker with that third pair. Matt, I understand that game circumstance is going to have a lot to do with this, but I thought with Riley Sheehan being on the fourth line that the Penguins would try to roll four lines a little bit more equally. And last night, certainly... That did not happen. Now, he played just a shade under 10 minutes, but uh, the other two guys, the wingers on that line, played four minutes and one second and four minutes and 31 seconds, respectfully. So I suppose we're not going to see the Penguins roll four lines. I don't know. It might depend on opponent. Against the Devils, Carter Rowney and Tom Kuhnhock are going to get blown by. Against quicker teams, they're not the greatest fit. And Riley Shane isn't the best skater in the world, but he can keep up, and in particular when you give him fleeter wingers, and um, I don't know if I like him as a winger himself. They uh, they tried him at wing last night into middling effect there, but you're right. The whole benefit of bringing in, or part of the benefit of bringing in Broussard was to uh, allow Shan to have his spot and to have more of a grinding possession-type line. Now, uh, like I just said, it may work against other teams better than others, and it also doesn't help that Zach Aston Reese is now out longer term as uh, the Penguins called it this afternoon. So without him as an option, you have Dominic Simone. You can plug back in there. Um, But I think Carter Rowney is going to have to probably stay in because of his penalty-killing ability, his ability to take face-offs while shorthanded. The Penguins have their top three centers who you probably don't want to use them on the PK. So 
that also boxes you into a, a different kind of a corner if you're Mike Sullivan. And, well, that's what the final 20-odd games are for, to figure out exactly how they want to roll things at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And I know the Penguins are bunched up in the standings right now, but that's what these 20 games have to be. They're going to find a way to win games because they're very good, and the roster's very good, and their top-end players, Evgeny Malkin in particular, are playing very well. But it should be about the process right now and not necessarily always about the results. Matt Geica, Pittsburgh Hockey Now, joining me here on the Crowley Show. Matt, uh, speaking of trying to get your game in order, my God, Connor Sheary, is just, I mean, he's fighting it, man. He really is. It seemed like the puck was a bouncy ball to him last night. He's chopping the damn thing up. What's the? What should the Penguins do with him right now? I think they should put him alongside Crosby and Gensel and let him work out of it. That wouldn't be a bad idea, and I still think we'll see that at some point this season. It's just so dynamic of a line, even if it gives up its fair share of chances at the other end. I think overall it's going to be a net positive. Earlier in the year, it really wasn't. At times in the playoffs last year, it really wasn't. But we've also seen stretches where it could be completely dominant and give opponents fits below the, the hash marks, especially in the offensive zone where they're just so quick and also can read each other's minds to a degree where they're almost impossible to cover. You know, it reminded me of the uh, Sedins with the give-and-go style of hockey yeah. that those three play. Oh, yeah. No doubt about it. They're right up there with uh, with anything we've seen in the game, and they add that extra element of, of zip that maybe the Sedins didn't bring even at their peak. And Sherry, I know that in theory he could provide some scoring punch to a lower line, but I also know what I've seen with him and Crosby, and he connected with Sid right around this time last year, you'll recall, when Gensel was brought back up and uh, and Sherry was, was bouncing around. Then they locked into the Sid and the kids and, and that really carried them through the end of the regular season. But what you said about having the final 20 games and um, you know it not being necessarily about playoff position as much as what you want to see in the postseason, that's what that big stretch through January and February bought them is right. some cushion here. And I know that they could drop out of uh, the top three spots in the Metro, but they're 11 points ahead of the Islanders, uh, who are the first team out currently in the East. So they're not going to miss the playoffs now, and, and they can mess with some things. And Overall, I'm a Connor Sherry believer, and I know he looks like he's trying to do too much. No points in five, no goals in 12. <laughs> he's definitely starting to press, and he uh, tends to do that at times. But um, I'd like to see him more with, with other similarly skilled players and guys who think the game the same way. Other than Tampa, Matt, who is going to give the Penguins the most trouble in the East? Uh, I think Boston. We'll see that tomorrow night. Boston plays, it's a contrast in styles with Boston. Yes, they have some younger guys. They've added some speed to their lineup. But overall, they're built on the, the framework of structure that Claude Julien set up there. And even though Bruce Cassidy took over last year, they maintain much of that. It's very similar to what happens when, say, a Ken Hitchcock takes over in St. Louis. And even after he leaves with, um, you know, with, Mike, Yo in, or, uh, yeah, with Mike Yo in charge down there, they've kept a lot of those good habits. And that tends to carry on over. So uh, th- that'll be the, the challenge against the Bruins will be to, um, to not try to, to force things that aren't there. Whereas against a, a, a speedier team, maybe the Penguins try to focus on, on being more, I don't know, controlled or perhaps hanging on to pucks in the offensive zone. Against the Bruins, uh, take advantage of the chances when you get them and otherwise uh, resign yourself to being more patient um, overall because you're not going to get the type of counterattack chances that you will against the Devils or the Hurricanes, or other teams like to go up and down the rink. Matt Geica, Pittsburgh Hockey Now, joining me here 
on the Crowley Show. Matt, turning the page from hockey to a question that I posed on Twitter earlier today. If Ryan Shazier were to play football again, 2019, it would have to be because he's not going to play in 2018, according to Kevin Colbert. How would you feel watching him out there? Not great. Queasy. Not that it matters how I would feel. Oh, it matters to me, Matt. It matters to you. Well, I'm glad that you brought me on to discuss this. I know it matters to people away from uh, from the immediate family of Ryan Shazier as well because well, we all we all want the, the best for him. And while we appreciate his skills, we know he's a, he's a guy with a family, even if he wasn't, even if he was just by himself in the world. Um, you'd have concern for uh, a fellow person and, and how they're able to create a, a life for themselves after football because that's what it is all about. You're going to spend the majority of your life after the sport, um, trying to uh, to be a productive human being and, and to uh, achieve some of your goals that you had away from the field. And that's not taken away from what football can provide. But Ryan Shazier is, is in, uh, in for a heck of a fight. He's gotten to this point, and full credit to him. But I felt weird about any of the, the talk regarding a return to football, potentially, for Shazier ever since the injury happened, because it just felt so secondary to me. And now, even though you, you might say that he's no more susceptible to a serious injury if he, in fact, fully recovers from uh, whatever is afflicting his spinal cord, even so, um, it, it still has to give you pause. If you're anyone advising Ryan Shazier to, um, they're all going to be really supportive and they all want what he wants. But I guarantee inside his mind he's thinking, well, yeah, I want to get back on my feet and I want to be able to move around at least uh, somewhat close to what I was before, but do I really want to go back out there? I'm not sure, and that's a question you'll have to answer over the next year as he as he tries to work his way back. It's it's quite the ordeal still ahead of him. Matt Geica, Pittsburgh Hockey Now, joining me on the Crowley Show. Okay, back to hockey real quick. When looking at the Penguins' lines, this has been something I've been thinking about a bunch because I'm a dweeb and I like hockey. What do you think they're best lineup is without now i suppose zach aston reese is going to be out for the foreseeable future well i want to see the swedes with malkin i feel like malkin's been at his best with with hornquist and and Hagler on his wings that works out for me and i'm with mike sullivan that the penguins are hardest to play against there's another cliche you can tell i've spent a lot of time around him but <laughs> the penguins are hardest to play against when they have their big three guns each on their own line and so I want Kessel with Broussard, and well, then that that left wing spot on the third line is open, and uh, with Aston Reese out, uh, perhaps Dominic Simone fits in there. I think he's a smart player. I know that uh, he hasn't been the most consistent player in the world, but he is a rookie, and he still provides that offensive upside. And I would go with with Sid and the kids ultimately on the top line just to give Crosby some more support for much of this year. We've gone back into the uh, late stages of Bilesman and Shiro where he's had to carry some guys or help certain players like an Aston Reese or a Simone or a Daniel Sprong when he was up um, adjust to the, uh, the rigors of NHL hockey and the ins and the outs of it. And that's all well and good. Sid is very well positioned to do that from a mental standpoint more than anything else. But isn't it time that he just got some guys to play with who he knows how to play with and who he doesn't have to uh, bust out the iPad every other shift on the bench? to show them where to go. That would be good at some point, and maybe Sullivan's just keeping that in the bag in case he needs it or when it's uh, about time to go into the postseason. But now that I bring up Daniel Sprong, what becomes of him, too? Do the Penguins just say, all right, this is a season of development. We're going to keep him in the AHL. 
Or uh, at some point, do they say, well, we've uh, run out of a couple of wingers here with Aston Reese gone and Ryan Reeves traded away. There are some openings. Um, give him one last shot. If you're going to do that, you probably want to do that sooner rather than later, though, because the playoffs are, what, five weeks away? Last thing here for you, Matt. Which backup goalie do you think should be relied upon more if Matt Murray is out for an extended period of time? I still go Kristen, uh, Tristan Jari on this one. I've been on his bandwagon ever since he got that stretch of games in December. And you could see the talent. It's obvious there. You could see it if you just go up to practice at, at Cranberry Township like I did today up at the Lemieux Complex. The gloves are a little quicker. The movement is, is faster and more precise. Casey DeSmith is more of a finished product, but his ceiling is lower. And if you do need someone to step in for Matt Murray, which well, we've seen it the last two years, it's been necessary for the Penguins in goal for someone to come to the forefront from a number two position. If you are in that position, uh, then for me, you want the player who can steal a game or two for you because it's going to happen in the playoffs. You're going to face great teams. They're going to outplay you occasionally, like we saw against Washington last year, or last two years, really. Um, like we saw against Tampa in 2016, that was such an evenly matched East final. Um, even when Nashville came on last year, uh, late in that series in the Stanley Cup final, there was a goaltender there, whether it was Flurry or Murray, who could, uh, who could affect the series, who could turn a series with one strong performance. And for me, even though he's been a little more erratic than DeSmith in the NHL, Jari's your guy if, uh, if you need someone who has ultimately that NHL upside that is so necessary, um, whether it be long-term or just short-term in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Gatchka, you guys do great work over at PittsburghHockeyNow.com. You, Kingerski, Shelly Anderson, all y'all. So appreciate that. Keep up the good work, man. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks, and uh, appreciate you continuing to help us spread the word. So, yeah, Pittsburgh Hockey Now. Get out there and uh, <laughs> show us that you like it because we've had great response so far. Goodbye, Matt. Bye-bye. Cliched statement about how only 15 people are listening to this right now. That's the default stand thing. Well, you know, only a couple of people are listening. Hardy, har, har, har. Love you, Stan. Stan's off the rest of the week. Well, everybody out at the Combine. Day one today, five hours of Combine talk from 10 until 3, and Lolly was on the air for all five hours. Same thing with tomorrow, same thing by Friday. Here's betting today was the best of the three. Coming up next, does the... College basketball scandal change your enjoyment of the tournament at all? 412-922-2874. You know how I feel. And I'll get more into the combine because I think it's kind of stupid. It's a Crowley show. Tweet Adam at underscore Adam Crowley. Oh, no. Finish your tweet. It's not, that's fine. Just give us a second. There you go. Hashtag it. This is the Adam Crowley Show on 970 ESPN and now on 106.3 FM. I was very fascinated by the Olympics. Will Graves was there. He'll join us in 16 minutes. I gotta know who fraternizes with who. What's going on behind closed doors? How many beers did Will Graves consume? And is he still a little jet-lagged? 16 minutes on Will Graves. 412-922-2874. 412-922-2874. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. The theme of the day, I suppose, or at least the question that I asked, 
that I want you to answer is, if Ryan Shazier were to play football again, it'll be in 2019 because Kevin Colbert says it's not happening this year, how would you feel about it? Because I'm not going to be the dude who says, don't come back and play. I'm not going to be the dude that says there's so much more to life. I'm not going to be that guy because he loves football. I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not comfortable being that guy. But what I will say is when he does come back, if he comes back, I'm going to cringe a lot when I watch him play. Dr. Thunder tweets, I guess no one has had the balls to sit him down yet. He needs to be realistic, not delusional. I hope he and his family live a long, healthy life together. But that's you extrapolating what you think his viewpoints are, Dr. Thunder, if that is indeed your real name. Don't call a guy delusional for wanting to get back to normalcy. Don't call a guy delusional for wanting to do what he's always dreamt of doing. I'm sure, Dr. Thunder, that when you were getting your degree, when you were going all the way through med school, Mr. Thunder, that you wanted desperately to become a doctor, maybe a surgeon, with your lightning-quick hands. Yeah. And if maybe you burned your hand one day, you'd be upset if you weren't able to doctor anymore. If you weren't able to be a surgeon anymore. I'm sure you'd do everything you could. I'm sure you'd go through all of the channels to find a way to get back to doing what you want to do. Now, I suppose you could make the argument that, well, I wouldn't have gotten injured doctoring, but suppose you had. Suppose you pricked your finger. Or something like that. You're going right back in the line of fire. But think about police officers. People who grow up all their lives wanting to be in blue and defend this great country on the home front. And you get hurt in that job. I got a cousin who's a police officer and thank him for his work and all the police officers out there. He broke his leg. But imagine that he had suffered, and knock on wood, obviously, God forbid, he suffered uh, an even more gruesome injury. Do you want to get back out there? Well, if it's what you've dreamt of doing your entire life, then yeah, I'm sure you do want to get back out there. Absolutely. You want to live the life that you've always wanted to live, and you don't want to let the fact that that awful thing, the worst thing that's ever happened in your life, affect the way that you live the rest of your life after you've made it over that hill. So don't project your own sensibilities onto what he should or shouldn't do. The question that I'm asking is just how would you feel about it, about legitimately watching him? I'm not asking you what he should do. I'm not asking him what you think is the best course of action for him. I'm asking how you would feel in your chest, in your stomach. What would your visceral reaction be when he walked out on the football field? 412-922-2874. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. The Mojinator says, as a fan, I'd love if he came back to play, but would have one eye closed every time he made a hit, but wish him the best of luck either way. Yes. Best of luck either way. But I would have one eye closed, and every time that he got close to making a play, I think I'd shudder. Scott tweets, every time he made a play, I'd cringe. I'm sure I'd watch, but don't know. I'd be rooting for him. Ben says, as a parent, I wouldn't want Shazier anywhere near the field. 
If he earns his way back to the field, however, through superhuman effort and dedication, it would be an unjustifiable indignity to deny him the chance to make the team. Great point. 412-922-2874. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. We'll go to Mr. Richard now. Hello, Mr. Richard. I got gotcha. you. Does that mean it'll happen again? But I was thinking about race car drivers. Must go on. Great point. Race car drivers, they get in some really bad accidents, but they still come back. That's what it's, they love to do. Well, I had, uh, I used to, I, my job was waiting on customers, and I had two people with guns threatening to kill me, but I still kept waiting on other customers. You got to do what you want to do, man. I mean, that's the way it is, and I think it's a good point, Mr. Richard. And I watched a lot of the Olympics, and you're watching these guys, and thank you so much for the call, who are snowboarding on these 28-foot half pipes. And then they go 24 feet in the air on their jump, and they land on their ankles, or they land on their dome. They land on their arm, and every single time that happens, I think, oh, my God, how do they do that again? And I cringe, and any time those long jumpers, the ski jumpers, lift off, it's like you are never closer to death than you are at that exact moment. It's the same thing. This damn microphone fell down. It's the same thing that I feel with Ryan Shazier. I don't think I go on the field, but I can't speak to that. I I don't know. Maybe one day I'll blow so much hot wind out of my esophagus that I'll need to get surgery. And because I've been spewing hot takes on the reg, do I want to put myself back in that position again? I don't know. That's probably not fair to Ryan Shazier. In fact, it's definitely not to compare what he does to what I do. My God, I bitched and moaned all week last week because I was putting in the kitchen. And I had a lot of help in doing that. 412-922-2874. This is the kind of stuff that I hate. South Park Ginger tweets. I cringed every time he led with his head before he got hurt. A lot of people always try to put it on Ryan Shazier and say that it's his fault. You know any players in the league do that? And even if he's looking straight up as he goes in for the tackle with his face facing the chest the way that he's supposed to, doesn't mean that it's not going to happen that way. Your head can still get forced back into your spine then. Four one two nine two 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 eight seven four. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. I can't wait for March Madness. I really can't. We got a sweet ass giveaway coming up in a couple of weeks when March Madness does start. Tomorrow is the first day of March, and tonight, baby, the Big Ten tournament starts. In fact, it did a minute and thirty two seconds ago. Some bum schools are playing, whatever. But it's March Madness in February, and I don't care about this NCAA scandal as it relates to my March Madness. I really don't. And if you've listened to me for a while, even going back to the morning show days, you'll know how I feel about collegiate sports, how filthy and immoral that I think that they are. But I've always been able to compartmentalize my love for West Virginia, juxtaposed against my hatred for how dirty I think the NCAA overall is. So if I've been able to do that, if I've been 
able to avoid caring about the fact that these child athletes make millions of dollars for the adults, then I'm pretty sure that I can look the other way when those kids are actually getting paid. If Sean Miller is getting a basketball player, a kid, an 18-year-old, $100 million, and that guy's helping that university make millions of dollars, I'm not going to get all that mad when it happens. Yeah, he's cheating. Yeah, it's back channel. Yeah, the FBI's involved. But why is that? Why is paying the kid immoral and not playing, paying the kid what, what is universally accepted? And maybe I'm a little bit of a hypocrite there because I do think it's wrong, but again, I watch. So because I watch, even though it's all wrong under that umbrella of injustice, this new level of injustice isn't going to make me want to watch it any less. This ain't a blip compared to that. And if I watch then, I'm going to watch now. But I do find it odd, and it is my Twitter poll, does the scandal in college basketball change your opinion whatsoever on March Madness? And 74% of the people say no. 26% of you make me laugh because you're going to skip work. You're going to F up the American economy, which, by the way, I am doing. I'm taking off the Thursday and Friday of March Madness. You're going to F up the economy. You're going to skip out on work. You're probably going to lie about it, which is immoral, right? It's one of the ten things that God says, no, no, do not lie. That's why transparency is the number one virtue of the Crowley Show. You're going to be immoral in that, right? Because you're going to lie to get off work. You're going to drink beer. And you're going to gamble. Now, I don't think gambling is this evil thing that it's been made out to be before. And I love drinking. And God, do I love taking a day off work. But... You're going to tell me that the people who are doing all of that, those people, the people who have done that in the past, are going to be all upset because there's cheating going on in the NCAA? Nah, give me a break. 100% of the people who voted, who are sports fans, are going to watch the NCAA tournament the exact same way that they've been watching before. What say you? 412-922-2874. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. We'll get to some of the combine weirdness that I absolutely hate coming up at 6 and Kevin Colbert's comments from the Combine as well. But up next, I'm curious to hear Will Graves' opinion on all these moral issues, and i got to hear how Pyeongchang was. How many beers was he drinking? How many condoms are they hanging out in the Olympic Village? Handing out. It's an unfortunate slip of the phrase. Up next, Will Graves, AP. It's a Crowley Show. Proof that anyone can have a sports show. Wow. <laughs> Electric booyah bass right from jump. Unlike members of the UCLA Bruins basketball team, Will Graves has gone to Asia and come back. He joins me now on the show. Mr. Graves, I missed you, buddy. How was Pyeongchang? Or as I'm known on your cheese teeth, some other guy. Is that correct? Yeah, I can't believe you're the guy I forgot, and I feel bad about that because I also hung up on you for Jerry Dulac that one time. That's that's true. I mean, it's a good thing I love you so much, or this would be a two-strike in your out territory, but I'm also a fame whore, so whatever. You know, I'm I'm, I'm up for anything. (laughs) How was Pyeongchang, man? What was your favorite part? That's right. Cliched question. Let's hear it. Um... 
You know, my favorite part is uh, the chance to tell the stories of people that you've never heard of and hell that I've never heard of. And then you meet them and then, you know, I just made this analogy to a friend of mine. You know, I get a chance to watch Sidney Crosby and Antonio Brown do what they do, right? And I have a whole season to write as many iterations of their stories as I can, right? And if I screw one up, well, hell, I'm going to write another one in a month, so who cares? In the Olympics, you get like one shot to do these people right, to try to convey their journey to and put it in the context of this event in terms of the context of their life and spread it to people that didn't hear, didn't even know about them 10 minutes ago. And that by far to me is sort of, there is, like there's a lot of crap for the Olympics, but the, the problem is the athletes always let them off the hook because there is a purity to their purpose that is difficult to find in everyday professional sports. And that is by far, I mean, I could tell you a couple of stories. Uh, your people are going to be like, what the hell is he talking about? The Olympics are over. And I get it, but trust me, in the moment, it's, uh, I mean, there's the Canadian moguls guy who literally tore his ACL a month ago, eschewed surgery, and basically had his, his right knee cauterized, somehow managed oh. to, make it to make it to the finals. And then about a third of the way of a, down his first run in the finals, and he was like, you know what, we're good. And he was out. But, I mean, he literally – I mean, I'm not talking like this isn't a partial tear. I mean, this is a complete tear of his ACL. And Moguls is not like just shushing down the slopes. It's going down a, a hill at 30 miles an hour while bouncing off boulders and then jumping twice. Okay? Uh, my, favorite, my favorite moment, far and away, you know me as the ODB guy, as, as, as an old-school hip-hop guy. There's this Canadian skier. Her name is Cassie Sharp. She's 25. She wins the women's ski cross half pipe, which is basically like snowboard half pipe with skis. So it doesn't, I'll be honest, it doesn't look as cool. <laughs> but like, as she's up there at the top, and we have, I'm like, what are you doing? What were you doing up there? She's like, oh, I was rapping to myself. And I'm like, what are you rapping? And she was rapping Annie Up by MOP, which is a song <laughs> that came out in 2000. Okay. And I, it was me and a bunch of Canadians in this scrum. Okay. I'm the only one that, I guarantee you, I was the only person other than her that know that song. And I actually threw a, lyric at her and she she said the next lyric so this wasn't sort of some like put on uh and that you know my olympics was made i mean like those that's what i love i mean i these, this is the biggest moment of these people's lives and you know one day cassie sharp is going to google herself in 15 years because her kids aren't going to believe her that mom was good at something and my goddamn stories i'm oops i'm like sailing here my story's going to come up and she's going to think hey that guy did right by me that's my favorite thing about the olympics did you just say GD on the air? I think I did. Very nice. No big deal. I say things all the time. Will Graves, the Associated Press, fresh from Pyeongchang, joining me on the Crowley Show. I'm interested in the proximity to the athletes that you guys had, Will. I mean, obviously you had media access, but were you living in the same type of area as these yeah. athletes? Yeah. Did you get um, to know them on, I mean, on a personal level I mean, at all? I'm not, even, I'm not even kidding. Literally, I had been there 20 minutes at the condo I was at, you know, there's uh, I I'm kind of woozy. I throw my stuff in the room. And there's a place across the street to get something to eat. I come through the lobby, and literally Sean White is coming out of a cab uh, with like his entourage and walking by me, and then going up to his wow. place, which is in the same building. So yeah, I mean, hell, there was. So you remember the Czech woman that beat like Lindsey Vaughn, and who's a snowboarder who beat Lindsey Vaughn and all these other people? Yes, the ski race. Okay, literally the night, and I I put the picture on Twitter, Instagram, my Facebook page, whatever. That night, she, which was at a, that was another part of the Olympics. I was covering an event that day. Eddie Pell's the guy I was working with. 
we were coming to a different event. We go to get dinner at KFC, and we walk <laughs> in there, and she's like, and there's this woman in a Czech Republic jacket and a couple other people, and my Eddie goes, dude, is that Ladeshka? And I was like, I think, and we're literally standing there with our phones, like, looking at pictures of her on the Internet, and then she sort of, it was so awesome, she just sort of casually stands up and pulls her gold medal out of her pocket and drapes it around her neck. Okay, and then we ended up talking to her for, for a couple of minutes. I mean, like, that just doesn't happen. You know, that just doesn't happen. I mean, in, in professional sports, like, they're great. These are great athletes. I love what I do. Um, but there are walls put up between us and them. And for the most part of the Olympics, with Sean White being kind of the exception, Lindsey Vaughn a little bit, I mean, those walls don't exist, you know. Did, did you pull out your AP style book so that she could know who you were? <laughs> I think she knew, she knew, like, the next, uh, I think we saw her, like, a couple days later. And she remembered that we were the people that uh, she ran to the restaurant. And then she went and won her snowboard event like the last day. You know, I mean, it's impossible. It's impossible to put that in perspective. For I mean, she'd been, she had skied seven times in January. And with snowboarding, she snowboarded 24 days in January, and she skied seven times in January. And then she beat Lindsey Vonn's ass. Okay. I mean, that's, it's pretty, I mean, it's, it's, it's that kind of stuff that's, that's pretty amazing. It's not all great. It's not all great. If, if we're going to, if, if you know me, I'm chief media, you know, police um i didn't think the way that sean white was sort of railroaded after he won his gold medal um by folks about it i don't know if people don't know there was a woman that filed a civil suit against sean a year ago uh they were in the band together she claimed sexual harassment sean has been available sean was available the week before the game sean's been available for the last couple months sean was available the day before he competed none of these people there had been he had, they had settled the by the way they settled the lawsuit. None of these people brought any. There had been no news. There was no news. He wins the gold medal, and then Christine Brennan at USA Today is grandstanding in front of a, in a press conference. What about this sexual harassment stuff? No, uh, uh-uh. uh, you don't get to, you don't get to do that. Okay, you don't get to do that. I respect Christine as a journalist, but there was somebody from CNN and ABC trying to ask these gotcha questions. There was no news there. Okay, and yet because it was it was morally expedient and convenient for them to bring it up. After oh, that's, ab- that's absolutely what it was. You know yeah, what? Well, it, and-, it, and it pisses me off. I'm not saying that people shouldn't be held accountable, but like, like they literally waited, you know, the only difference between like Tuesday and Wednesday was on Tuesday. He had two Olympic gold medals. And after the competition on Wednesday, he had three. That was it. There was no development, but she didn't file the case that day. I mean, they settled the case. She even, you know, Deadspin got a hold of some of the discovery, which also, had, by the way, had been available last fall and was reported by many outlets, including USA Today and the Associated Press. And it just, like, that part just sort of bothered me. You know, I get mad at it. I want us to do stuff the right way. I like, I mean, you think you know me well enough. You, I mean, I kind of, doing it the right way is kind of the reason I do this for a living. You know, I try to do it the right way. And, like, that, that kind of stuff just pissed me off, so. How anyway, much, how much drinking to to switch this up? How much drinking did Will get, Graves do in Pyeongchang? Well, well, it was a little tough because we had a lot of because of for TV. Like, so there would be primetime events here, like eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night, but it's nine ten in the morning over there. Um, so it, like, and it's the finals, like Sean White's snowboard final, right? Like 10 in the morning, so you don't really you didn't really have the opportunity to kind of go and get it. Not like we did in Rio. Rio was. I mean, I was basically sober 20 <laughs> minutes in Rio. I mean, if we're being honest here. Of course um, we're being honest here. But, uh, I mean, they have their beer's pretty good. The, I mean, the coolest thing, I, the coolest food I had, I had street octopus. 
I basically got octopus from a street vendor. Street puss, um, very good. It was good. What'd you have to pay for that street puss, <laughs> Will? Will, let me... Got a little uh, cream on it? That... <laughs> you got inked. Uh, Will uh, Graves joining me, Associated Press joining me on the Crowley Show. Uh, Will, what was there? Was there an overarching Paul kind of over the entire thing because of North Korea and South Korea and everything going on there? Or did they do a really good job of sweeping that under the rug? I have a friend who likes to describe it whenever the Olympics come, and there's always some sort of like angst beforehand, right? And then it turns in for three weeks, it turns into Olympic land, and everything's great. And then you leave, and there's a massive mess to clean up. I mean, that's. You know, I mean, the AP, how we wrote it, you can basically, it's like the, that Onion story after mass shootings, <laughs> right. right, where you just replace the names. It's the same thing. Like, we wrote a story, um, the beginning of the game, so this is a good sign, this is a sign of progress for North Korea and South Korea and blah, blah, blah. And then there was a story we wrote, like, two days before the games ended, and it just it was. Now they're left to, to pay the bill, and North Korea's bailed, and it's back to the way things were. Why did we do this? I mean, you can just sort of have that discussion all the time, but during, in, I will say that I will say that in the I, I I don't it was a political show. I don't think North Korea has any actual intent on thawing relations, but it's a good PR stunt, right? And for at least for the athletes that were there, it, you know, from North Korea, it did give them a, a chance to take a part in a movement they probably never thought they'd get a chance to. Like, so I guess on that level, um, it was a success. What was the thinking of media and athletes alike, if this is something you discuss with them, about the Olympic athletes of Russia being able to compete? Um, kind of depends on which sport you were, you know, I did a lot of, I did snowboarding and freestyle skiing. That's, that's what I did. So not a heavy Russian presence in there. There was a couple of Rus- there were a couple of Russians that had. They're not uh, Russians. They- They're Olympic athletes from Russia. The funny part was like, the, fu- the, the funny part was like, even on like the hockey team, like it wasn't the Olympic athletes from Russia, because it's a team, it was still like the Olympic athlete from Russia, but um, I mean, I, I think that you know, you notice what the men's hockey team did when they won the gold medal, they stood on the medal stand and sang the national anthem, they're wearing red jerseys, you know I mean, I, I think it was the IOC has no teeth on this, they reinstated Russia like on Monday, I mean it's they don't care about doping not really, I think a, more, a much stronger Stance would have been if athletes had in nations and had boycotted the closing ceremonies. That didn't happen. So, you know, I just think it's like I think Russia shrugs its shoulders. It didn't have a good showing in the games. I think that's probably that's far more embarrassing to them than than their athletes having to wear, you know, shirts that say OAR. So, good band, by the way. Did you happen to attend either the opening ceremony or the closing ceremony? No, I was about I was about forty miles away up in the mountains. I mean, when you're there, you might as well go make the make the hike. Will I think I, I don't know if I go like eight thousand miles. I think that's pretty. That's far enough, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you don't want to go eight thousand forty, right? Nah, I mean everybody's got a cap, right? I mean, come on. So I did. I did not. I mean, I watched them. They were on television. And to me, the more interesting part was like we only had Korean TV in our rooms, so we only saw like it's not like the Olymp- NBC where you see everything and they have it on eighty five different channels. There were three channels, and they all basically showed the same. Four, top four Korean highlights over and over and over, which was sort of insane. I will say this. Um, they were great people, and I've done five of these now, and I would say by far the, the, the sincerity with which they were pulling for their athletes, not because not to beat the other guys, but simply wanting their athletes mm. to do well, just it destroys what the Russians did in Sochi and 
uh, the, the, the people, even the people in Brazil did and the, and the Canadians in 2010 and the, and the Englanders and Londoners in 2012. I mean, the, the purity of their, I mean, they were so earnest and sincere about it. It was just sort of joy. I'll be honest, it sort of brought me some joy to see them care that much and not like, hey, we want to kick your tail, but hey, we want Korea to do well because we love Korea. This is our moment. I, I, I really got a kick out of that. And by the way, the, uh, I don't know if you guys watched a lot of curling. Uh, hey, I had the curling champion on yesterday. The skip of the United States curling team was on with me. Uh, well, he what's what's his name? John Schuster. Schuster, right? Uh, trust me, the star of the Olympics in Korea was the skip for the Korean women's team. Kim Yung Jung, she's the one with the glasses. She was not quiet. She was. She was. Dude, she's such a <laughs> badass. She, she, I mean, she is. She she won the Olympics. If you ask me, who won the Olympics? She won the Olympics. She was. And the, and the best part was, these are all girls that went to high school together from a small town that yeah, basically cool. is known for producing garlic, and they just became like these rock stars. It was pretty awesome. So that must be why Tim Benz didn't cover the Olympics because he's the official vampire of the Crowley Show. Uh, <laughs> well, last thing uh, we got to make it quick though. Did you happen to get a massage when you were over there? Uh, I did not. My happy ending was simply coming home uh, without cancer this time and uh, <laughs> seeing my kids. So, see how I flipped that in there? Yeah. Uh, I, I forgot that that is whenever you, you were experiencing your symptoms before uh, yeah, for the first time. Right. You're walking up the steps, right? Correct. Good see, job. I'm a friend of yours, man. We got to get beers. <laughs> Not bad. You, so, me, and Rossi. Your friend, some guy. Yeah, right. <laughs> you, me, and Rossi will watch West Virginia basketball bow out of the tournament too early. How's that sound? Sounds good. All right, buddy. Thanks for the time. My, uh, my media friend from the United States. Goodbye. <laughs> see you. Will Graves. Associated Press. Love that guy. He's a good dude. Really is. Sometimes media police, but hey, who among us don't have faults? And if that's your fault, it's, I think, tantamount to having an okay six defenseman as you go into the Stanley Cup final or the playoffs. Coming up next, the Combine is odd for many different reasons. I'll tell you why I think it's dumb. And I'll give you Kevin Colbert's comments from the Combine as well. It's the Crowley Show.